Hello, my friends. Today, I take you through Catherine McKenna's goodbye speech. I don't think it'll be her last goodbye speech. I think she loves talking about herself too much, loves photo ops about herself too much. I think it's the first of a long goodbye tour. There'll be goodbye conferences, goodbye parties, goodbye speeches in the House of Commons. Uh, she, she's just too much of a camera hound to make this goodbye. But I'll give you the true measure of her career, including the most devastating condemnation of her character that she herself said. So that's ahead. Before I get to that, let me invite you to become a subscriber to what we call Rebel News Plus. It's the video version of these podcasts, which I think is better than just the podcast because we put a lot of effort into showing you clips, showing you facts, showing you photos. Unfortunately, you have to look at me, but other than that, it's good. You also get access to Sheila Gunn-Reed's weekly show, David Menzies' weekly show, Andrew Chappell's weekly show. That's all also on Rebel News Plus. Just go to rebelnews.com and click subscribe. It's eight bucks a month, and that money helps keep us strong and independent. All right, here's today's podcast. Tonight, Catherine McKenna announces she's quitting politics in a burst of self-pity and narcissism. It's June 28th, and this is The Ezra LeVant Show. Why should others go to jail Why? when you're a biggest carbon consumer I know? There's 8,500 customers here, and you won't give them an answer. The only thing I have to say to the government about why I'm publishing is because it's my bloody right to do so. It's not even close. The most vain MP in Parliament is Justin Trudeau. I think he just loves looking at pictures of himself. There's a weird Peter Pan juvenile side to it. Boy, he loves dressing up in costumes. He never wants to grow up. My advice to all the single people out there is find someone who loves you as much as Trudeau loves himself. But a very close second would be Catherine McKenna. Her first big PR splash as a cabinet minister was when she led the most bloated delegation in history to the Paris Global Warming Summit that the UN was hosting just after the 2015 election. That's when she hired a Paris fashion photographer to tag along and capture all of her magical moments. Now, everyone these days has a great camera in their cell phone, and of course, there are staff who can take a picture of her and even official photographers along with the delegation, but none of them were good enough for Catherine McKenna. She literally forked out thousands and thousands of tax dollars to hire a Paris fashion photographer. She really does fancy herself, I don't know, a supermodel or something. Well, she does have the vocal fry down pat. I don't know how you can have a Valley Girl accent when you're from Hamilton, Ontario, but she, she mastered that. Uh, here's how she started, that's how she started her career as an MP, and I think she ended it in a similar flourish today. She had a photo op to announce she's quitting politics, and she exited with the same vanity flourish with which she entered. Here's one of her many photos of herself that she tweeted about herself when having a press conference to talk about herself, but look at it. She stepped out of her ministerial car to get on her bike just for the photo op, Oh yes, she has a free car as a cabinet minister and 
She puts on the mileage. Curiously, she blocked our access to information request about how much mileage she puts on that car. That's odd. It's also illegal. It's almost like she doesn't want people to know just how much she drives. I don't blame her. People might call her a hypocrite. So she's on her bike as if she wears high heels when biking. And she's wearing a mask outside, even though she's had her vaccine shot. What a weirdo. So she had a press conference to announce that she's not running again. And it was covered live by CTV and CTV, CBC and CTV for more than half an hour. I'm not even kidding. Is that the top news in Canada, in the world? I think it was 42 minutes of unfiltered, self-serving propaganda. Can you recall the last time that Trudeau himself had 42 minutes straight of pandering from the media like that? It's quite something. And she did take some questions, if you can call them that. You might think that a self-described feminist like McKenna, oh, I don't know, might have been asked questions about, I don't know, the fact that Harjit Sajam remains in cabinet, despite news, you know, that he actually, you know, you know, this whole sexual misconduct thing in the military, even amongst his own staff, there are people accused. You might think that a self-described ally of Aboriginal people who started off her speech today acknowledging that she was on Indian land, you might think she would have had, you know, a couple of questions about the bizarre bigotry shown by Carolyn Bennett. Trudeau's Indigenous Affairs Minister towards Jody Wilson-Raybould, the Justice Minister fired by Trudeau, when Bennett claimed that Raybould only cared about money and her pension. Seriously, the same Jody Wilson-Raybould who put everything on the line for ethics. Imagine claiming that she was the one motivated by power and money. No questions about that for McKenna. It was a reminder about the collusion between the media party and the liberal party. Really, there's no dividing line between them. The closest thing to a tough question came from one of those Trudeau bailout news media called The Logic that asked McKenna, and I'm not even kidding, see for yourself, why aren't you spending more money faster? You think I'm kidding? I'm not kidding. Take a look. I'm Minister David Reevely from The Logic. Um, I'm wondering if you could share your insights as infrastructure minister into why it seems so difficult to spend billions of dollars to build and fix stuff in this country. Uh, the government is not on track to meet its long-term commitments on that spending. Why is it so hard? That was literally the toughest question she was asked. Why aren't you spending more? By someone who's on the Trudeau payroll himself. No questions about the missing billions in infrastructure money that, you know, just gone missing. Just that little thing. No questions about the fact that McKenna has declared war against Canadian coal and Canadian oil and gas and Canadian pipelines, but literally flew to China with the crooked SNC-Lavalin types to promote the use of coal there. She really loves China, just like Trudeau. So there were no questions about the fact that as Canadian Environment Minister, she worked for a Chinese government agency, not a bilateral agency, not some joint Canada-China thing, she literally served on a Chinese government agency working for them. Does she regret that? Oh, don't ask such mean questions. Nothing on her chronic habit of embroidering the truth, like blaming northern we normal weather uh, events on global warming. Like saying the science blamed global warming for some floods. Oh, there's floods every spring. Her own department said she just made it up. That's a lie. Certainly no questions about her more weird indulgences that it would, would have been the source of endless questions if it had been a conservative MP. I mean, here's just one. Why did you eat a dog? 
and brag about it on TV. I found out one of the most popular dishes in Flores was dog. Guess what we had for lunch? That's weird. But what got me the most about Catherine McKenna was about how she manipulated feminism and used it to silence other women and to excuse herself from any accountability. She was silent as Trudeau fired Jody Wilson-Raybould and Jane Philpott, possibly the best health minister Canada ever had. Imagine if she had been in charge during the pandemic instead of Patty Haidu, that graphic designer and Chinese Communist Party activist. To um, McKenna, being a woman served only one purpose, to provide cover for Trudeau's own misogyny, including his own sexual assaults, including against Rose Knight. But at the same time, this lesson that we are learning in, and I'll be blunt about it, often a man experiences an interaction as being benign or not inappropriate, and a woman, uh, particularly in a professional context, can experience it differently, and we have to respect that. Kenna endorsed Trudeau and endorsed Sajan and endorsed all the other disgraces in cabinet, giving them her women's seal of approval as they abused women. McKenna was a nasty bully herself, of course, calling her critics deniers, evoking that Holocaust vocabulary. But if anyone criticized her, she played the victim card immediately, saying that any criticism of her was sexist. People mock Trudeau for being a narcissist, photo op loving lightweight. I do that every day. McKenna is the same way, but when people criticize her for it, including Sheila Gunn-Reed's gentle nickname for her of being Climate Barbie, after she hired that Paris fashion photographer, McKenna went full enraged emo and said it was the worst thing to happen to women in, in modern history in Canada, and um, shame on um, Sheila for being so sexist. Which is weird because McKenna herself loves bullying women. Do you remember when Sheila Gunn-Reed asked a real question of someone from McKenna's delegation to that UN Global Warming Conference? Remember this? Hi, I'm Hi. Sheila. Nice Hi. to meet you. I'm Kevin. Hi, Kevin. Hey, Joel. You got a card? Yeah. This is my staff. Great. Okay. No. Sorry. And for which organization? No, sorry. We're actually not available. We're on our way to another meeting. Well, he just agreed to speak to us. But he just agreed to speak to us. Why are you not speaking to us? Is it just us in particular? Is it just us in particular that you don't want to speak to? Is it just... just go to our next meeting now? Thank you. Like, why don't you want to speak to us? Did it, do I seem unpleasant or... Was I rude? I don't understand why you won't speak to us. You were just sitting there speaking to a bunch of people. Are you worried I might ask a difficult question? No. Nope. This isn't going to look good, you running away from me. You know that, right? Yeah, after that, and that's good journalism by Sheila, McKenna specifically told the United Nations to ban Sheila from ever attending a UN conference again. So yeah, I think Sheila has earned the right to call McKenna climate Barbie. Um, but to David Aiken, today that was the most important part of McKenna's self-serving speech. It's the most important thing David Aiken wanted to ask McKenna about.
Uh, David Aiken, Global News. Uh, thank you, Minister, for taking our questions and congratulations and good luck on whatever's in the future. Um, I, I wanted to ask this question of you. You are among a, a group of female politicians in this parliament that has had to endure some ridiculous abuse, not just on social media, but often from parliamentarians sitting right across from you. I wonder if that played at all a factor. You've been very, I thought, pretty strong in dealing with a lot of that. But did that play a factor? And the next step then, as you speak to particularly younger women who are thinking about getting into politics, what can be done? What can you say to them who just look at your experience and say, I just can't do that? Yeah, male feminists. White knighting for a powerful woman. David, maybe she'll offer you a job. I miss David, my old colleague, coming to Sheila's aid when she was banned by McKenna for going to the UN, or for that matter, when Sheila was attacked by an NDP activist, male feminists, eh? Aiken, Trudeau, they're all the same. Catherine McKenna was a failure by her own yardsticks. The world emits more carbon dioxide than ever, if you care about that sort of thing. McKenna's beloved China emits more than the G7 countries combined. And even Canada is growing its emissions, other than the brief dip during the last recession. Didn't McKenna say she'd fix all that? Maybe she never meant it, but either way, it's a failure. As an individual politician, she failed too. Even Trudeau grew tired of her and demoted her in cabinet. In her self-congratulations today, McKenna said that she wanted to make way for someone more diverse than her. And that's the message that for all the negativity, there are millions of other people on the other side who have supported me personally, but support politics and support politicians. And that's really my message. But honestly, to the girls, the women, the broader diversity, we need more diversity in politics. It's the only way it is going to change. I say do it. If you feel it in your heart, if you've got something to contribute, is there something you want to achieve? then get into politics. We need new voices and we always need to push. I'm leaving because I have other things to do. And I think I've done uh, what I came to do. But uh, this should not be a message about not going into politics. This should be a message. We need more of you in and I'm creating space for folks to do it. Yeah, that's just another lie. She's making way for an old, white, rich man, a banker, a globalist, named Mark Carney, former central banker, who wants to come back to Canada from the UK, enter Parliament and eventually succeed Trudeau. So much for young, diverse voices. How will Catherine McKenna be remembered, if at all? I don't know if she'll be remembered, but I think if she is, it'll be as a cry bully who loved to attack others, especially other women. But the moment her outrageous conduct itself was criticized, even gently, McKenna played the victim card and taught other women and girls that when the going gets tough, the answer is to complain and say it's just because you're a girl. I think McKenna will be remembered as a bitter partisan with deep ethical problems who collaborated in firing authentic women who probably themselves could be called feminist heroes, certainly much more than McKenna. But mainly, McKenna will be remembered as the cabinet minister who went into a Newfoundland bar, met some CBCers, got drunk, and then said the quiet part out loud. The secret to success, she said, 
was just to tell a lie over and over again. You know, I actually gave him some real advice. I said that if you actually say it louder, we've learned in the House of Commons, if you repeat it, if you say it louder, if that is your talking point, people will totally believe it. So just go. Yeah, that's what we'll remember of Catherine McKenna in her own words. Stay with me for more. Well, we have over 1,834 cases at our fightthefines.com civil liberties project. Most of them are what I call severely normal Canadians, just from every walk of life and every background, just people who were hit hard by outrageous and likely illegal lockdown tickets. However, amongst those 1,834 cases, there are some special ones that stand out, including a few churches, a few businesses, and a few cases that the politicians really want to turn into examples. And Calgary, and Alberta more broadly, seems to be ground zero for the maximalist approach to lockdown prosecutions. And today, three of those most prominent cases uh, issued uh, rulings. A court issued a ruling. Uh, Chris Scott, the proprietor of the Whistle Stop Diner in Mirror, Alberta. Arthur Pavlovsky and his brother David pastors at the street church, and Tim Stevens, another Calgary pastor, all of them had their rulings today, and all of them were convicted. Joining us now via Skype is our friend Sheila Gunn-Reed, who was watching three of those matters unfold this morning and was live tweeting the proceedings. Sheila, great to see you again. Hi, Ezra. Thanks for having me on the show. I just want to clarify one quick thing because there are a lot of moving parts today. Tim Stevens, he didn't get a decision today, but his um, next court appearance is kicked down the road until mid-July. Ah. So that's when we'll we'll hear next from him. Um, so while the politicians are celebrating, as they say, the greatest outdoor show on earth, the Calgary Stampede, while they're trying on their new outfits to celebrate the reopening of this province, Tim Stevens is... Uh, being told that he'll sit in jail for at least another two more weeks before he even goes before a judge one more time. So, okay, thank you for the correction. So Chris Scott, the, the businessman, and the two Pavlovsky mm -hmm. brothers, they were convicted or found in yes. contempt of court today. They will be sentenced later. Tim Stevens, you've corrected me, thank you for that, did not have a ruling today, but he will rot in jail until... His trial is heard at a later date, so he remains in prison. And you know how, how long he's been in prison for? It's got to be a, a week now, right? Yeah, I think we're approaching maybe even two weeks that he's been sitting in jail. And th today the other the other hearings were two separate uh, contempt hearings for the Pavlovsky brothers because they are, were held in contempt of an April 23rd court order that was obtained in secret and then a May 6th court order that didn't name either one of them in it but was also obtained in secret and then the Chris Scott hearing as well at the very same time. Yeah and you said a few things there that may sound <laughs> odd to people. Um, obtained in secret I mean mm -hmm. uh, we have been crowdfunding the lawyer for Arthur Pavlovsky. He was actually our very first client in Fight the Fines. We've, we've been representing him or funding uh, Sarah Miller to represent him since April of 2020. So that's now 14 months. 
And for the Alberta yeah. government, they know this. They fought with Sarah Miller. She's cleaned their clock time and again. So they sneaked into court without notice to Arthur, without notice to Sarah Miller. They didn't tell the judge that they knew Arthur was lawyered up. And they made a secret application and got an order. And they didn't invite the other side to be part of a battle. That's how courts are. Audi ultram partum is the legal maxim. That means hear the other party. And that didn't happen. So it was a secret application for a contempt order. And on one of them, um, it, it didn't even name the people. It was just John Doe's and Jane Doe's. They are doing very rotten law in Alberta, and they're doing it with pride. The number of prosecutors and bureaucrats the government of Alberta is throwing these pastors is shocking. It's like the Nuremberg trials, but if the bad guys had won, the amount of prosecutorial and police power they're putting on these pastors is crazy. Well, and... Just the complete idea that there's no such thing as procedure anymore. So not only with that April 23rd order that was obtained in secret against Pastor Art, that was served to him the morning of April 24th when they tried to enter his church, because that order gives Alberta Health Services and the police free reign to enter Pastor Art's church, whether services are going on or not, which is actually in uh, breach of the Canadian Criminal Code, Section 176, that you cannot interrupt a church service. But they handed it to him and gave him two and a half minutes to be served with it, to read it, to understand, and then come into compliance. Art's first language is not English. He speaks Polish first. And in that that moment when they're serving him, because Art is really good at recording every interaction he has uh, he has with officials, he can be heard saying, call my lawyer, call my lawyer. And they never did. They, they never gave Art an opportunity to understand the order and come into compliance. They gave him two and a half yeah. minutes. And uh, that was one of Sarah Miller's arguments was that this is just not enough time for anybody, let alone someone who's got English as a second language to understand what you're giving them. Yeah. Uh, and that's the thing. Um, the, the fact that Pastor Tim Stevens is in jail right now, the fact that Arthur Pawlowski was in jail for days and before him and Scott, Chris Scott was in jail. And of course, in Edmonton, Pastor James Coates was in jail for 35 days. These are not crimes. They're not charged with any crimes. No. And these health orders that they're charged with, they don't carry with them a custodial sentence. So what's happening here is Alberta Health is trying to find some way to jail them that's not contemplated in the law. And so mm -hmm. they, they got these sweeping contempt orders against anyone and then tried to tag people they don't like and literally give them like two minutes. Oh, you didn't comply within two minutes reading a legal document as I storm your church with a bunch of armed cops yeah. off to jail for you. I don't know. I, I find it uh, uh, deeply troubling that no one, especially the official civil liberties groups on the left, seems to care. And frankly, I'm embarrassed for the judge that upheld all of this. I mean, we're going to, I mean, I, I spoke to the lawyer already this morning, Sarah mm -hmm. Miller. I said, if there's grounds for appeal and if the clients want it, we will continue to crowdfund. 
to appeal this all the way, but I, I do not have a lot of hope because the government loves this lockdown, the opposition loves it, the judges love it, the police love it, the civil liberties associations, with the only exception of the JCCF and us, are silent. Maybe, can, maybe Canadians really don't care about freedom. Maybe Wilfrid Laurier was wrong, that freedom isn't our nationality, and Diefenbaker was wrong. Maybe, maybe country, countries like Canada aren't really meant to be free, Sheila. I, I say that facetiously because I think all people are meant to be free, but it's pretty disgraceful what's happening. Well, yeah, I mean, and Chris Scott, uh, he was arrested and held for three days. His crime was refusing to go broke. He held a 1,500-person strong, strong protest at his restaurant that the government that very week had seized from him. They chained the doors to the restaurant. They chained the doors to the convenience store. They chained the doors to the gas station, and they locked up his campsite for some reason, collectively punishing the entire town of Mirror, Alberta, whose closest gas station then was 20 kilometers away. So naturally, the town came out in full force to support him the night of the protest. And Chris Scott was taken away for protesting the government restraints on his own business. He was restrained from protesting government restraints. He was held for three days. And in Chris Scott's case, again, just like Pastor Art, the government knows who Chad Williamson is. They know that Chris Scott has a lawyer. He's been fighting other court orders on behalf of, of Chris Scott before. But they snuck in to a Calgary court in front of Justice Rook and failed to inform the court that uh, Chris Scott was represented by a lawyer and failed to inform uh, Chad Williamson of the proceedings against his client. And because of that, on Wednesday, so two days from now, I think that's the biggest fight here, is that Chad and Chris are in front of the Court of Appeals because they are trying to overturn the original court order based on the fact that it was uh, procedurally uh, illegal, really, that it violates the fundamental principles of justice, that if you have a lawyer, uh, you should be able to have your lawyer in court representing you and that you should know if the court is going to do things to you that ultimately could end up with you behind bars. So on on Wednesday, so two days from now, I think that's the big the big, big court fight, at least for Chris Scott, is that they are in court arguing that, hey, we didn't do anything illegal. It was you, the hmm. government, who did something illegal. Well, I'm not going to hold out hope that, uh, that the Court of Appeal will see it any differently than the lower courts. I mean, uh, there was an insane ruling by the Federal Court of Canada. We challenged their hotel COVID quarantine jails, mm -hmm. and that was upheld by the Federal Court. And part of me thought, I get it. I've already listed how the entire establishment is in favor of these lockdowns uh, forever. Why should one federal court judge stand up and, and take the heat yeah. for saying the emperor has no clothes? Why? So that everyone else in Ottawa can, can marginalize him and call him a kook and not invite him to Christmas parties anymore? So I think that when you're dealing with courts, especially senior courts and courts of appeal, you're dealing with the fanciest highest stratum of society. And the higher you go on that mountaintop, the less likely you are to be a dissenter, a dissident, or someone of principle to say, whoa, there's a lot of groupthink going on up here, and I'm going to, you know, put a spanner in the works. You're just not likely to see that. Now, I hope I'm wrong. 
I hope I'm wrong. Here's what gets me. I saw the other day that Senator Josh Hawley of the great mm -hmm. state of Missouri wrote a letter asking the U.S. Um, Independent, sorry, International Religious Freedom Commission to put Canada on the watch list because of all these pastors being arrested. And the letter was copied to Canada's ambassador to the States. I thought it was a great letter. I should tell you that I know of at least 20 other congressmen who are alive to mm -hmm. this matter and state legislators too. My God, I can only imagine what would happen if they jail these pastors again. Here's my question. You got, let's say, two dozen American politicians worried about religious freedom in Canada, including a fairly powerful senator. I haven't seen a single Canadian senator of either of mm -hmm. any party. I haven't seen a single Alberta government or opposition politician. Out of 338 MPs, the only one who said anything is Derek Sloan, and he was ejected from the Conservatives months ago. So I've just gone through hundreds of Canadian politicians. Not a single Canadian politician is alarmed about jailing pastors. Not one has said a word. I, I wish they could all lose. I wish every Canadian yeah. politician of every political party could all lose because they are all absolutely terrible. None of them are upholding religious freedoms, and it's a disgrace. Well, I've seen a few of them speak out another uh, about another issue of religious persecution. So we've had five churches burned in the West here and three more vandalized, including a, a Polish Catholic church in Edmonton. And I've seen some conservative politicians say, oh, you know, this is, you know, we have to speak out about um, these churches burning and the vandalism and the intolerance and the people who are actively cheering for it. Um, and I appreciate that. Um, however, you're pretty quiet about when pastors are locked up. Mm -hmm. you, you, you can't be outraged about a building. And, and trust me, the, uh, those buildings are meaningful. They, they house the history of the congregation in the parish. But you didn't say anything when the government locked up the pastors of other churches. It can't be one and not the other. It has to be both. Yeah. Well, I find this whole thing very frustrating. I know we got into some technical legal stuff today. But I think, let me sum it up this way. If these things were happening in Egypt, China, the Nineveh plain of Iraq, Pakistan, yep. parts of Nigeria, where Christians are being persecuted, if these things were happening there, there would be outrage. In fact, maybe Jason Kenney himself would be outraged. He used to do that. But they're happening in Canada. Other countries are starting to notice, but it's like we are sleepwalking. Sheila, I know that I'm committed to continuing to fight the fight. I think most of these pastors and Chris Scott, the businessman, are too. We got a great team of lawyers. You mentioned Chad Williamson. I mentioned Sarah Miller. We now have over a dozen lawyers across the country. For folks who want to chip in, you can go to fightthefines.com. You'll actually get a charitable tax receipt for that. I, uh, I'm sad and I'm, and I'm tired of this fight, but we can't stop. We have to keep fighting. It's just sad that all those things I was taught that Canada stood for, freedom, the rule of law, I'm just sort of sad to see that we failed the test that we really meant it. 
you know, there are business owners who are willing to go to jail for the right of small business owners to keep their doors open. And there are pastors who are willing to go to jail in front of their crying children for the right for religious freedom for me. The least we can do is stand behind them. And I, I just want to take this minute to thank everybody who has donated either at savearcher.com or fightthefines.com. It's for those of you at home, it might be a financial donation that you're giving, but let me tell you what your moral support, it, I mean, your monetary contribution to our fight for freedom. Um, of course, that's valuable. It keeps the lawyers fighting, but it, it really means a lot for these people in their in their darkest moment to know that there are so many people cheering for them to keep going. Well, I pre- that's a better note to end on. I'm just I'm just sad about this setback because I because I just feel like this idealized version of Canada that I had in my head, the idealized version I had of the law. I mean, I'm a former lawyer myself. I went to law school and I thought, wow, this law, it's to be, you know, it's our greatest inheritance. It's, it's our greatest asset. Um, you know, China's taking it away from Hong Kong. And, and I, well, that's not like us. We would fight. We have not fought like Hong Kong fought for their freedoms. No. And you're right, these pastors, including Tim Stevens, who's in jail right now, will keep fighting, Sheila. I just want to express my own personal sense of loss, the loss of the naive belief that the establishment in this country actually believed in freedom. That I've lost. That's a personal thing. That's just my own illusion coming into contact with reality, we're still going to fight like hell. You know that, Sheila. We'll fight like hell. And I know these pastors will and our lawyers will. It's just sad to realize it. That's all. Well, you and I were talking the other day. We can't change the world, but we can change somebody's world. And I think that's really what makes a difference for people. All right. We'll end on that note. Sheila, thanks for your great work. And we'll keep up the fight. I appreciate your time. That's Sheila Gunn-Reed, our chief reporter who was covering various cases. Don't mind me. We're going to get up and fight. We always do. Stay with us. More ahead. Hey, welcome back on my show on Friday on Aaron O'Toole's poll numbers. Maurice writes, I don't know, Ezra. Every time I watch your show, I get more depressed. How about looking into a few points on a conservative win, please? Well, if I want to feel good about the conservative party, which I do, I turn to Pierre Polyev. He's always got some little video making a point, making an argument, and it raises my spirits because he's a happy warrior. He's a true conservative. Um, I think he's an excellent communicator, and he's young enough to wait out uh, Aaron O'Toole. And... um, that's how I keep my hope alive. I don't think the polls are going to provide you uh, any hope. Now, it's possible that the conservatives will turn it around in the campaign. I mean, I guess it's possible um, when you've got, what, is it going to be 100 third-party super PACs against the conservatives? Um, and, of course, the greatest super PAC of all, the media. Um, I mean, remember, the CBC literally sued the conservative party in the middle of the race last time. So, yeah, do you think that the conservatives are going to rise in the polls or fall in the polls in the campaign. But if you want to have hopes, just you know, close your eyes and think of Pierre Polyev. I'm, I'm serious, though. He's, he's the only hope. Travis writes, I have voted conservative in every provincial and federal election, as well as others in my family. 
We have always been conservative supporters. I will not be voting conservative in the next federal election. Well, I want to correct an error I made the other day. Uh, when I was talking to Lauren, I, I had seen the poll results nationwide and they omitted the People's Party of Canada. And I got a note from someone who said, actually, in the provincial breakdowns, uh, in Alberta, the People's Party was at 7%. Now, I didn't verify that myself. I'm just telling you, I got an email from someone who saw the show. So I should have probably checked it before saying it to you on, on TV. But um, so there's a twinkle of uh, dissent there, but still 7% in the polls. You know, you can come in second or third in every single riding in Canada and not win a single seat. We don't have proportional representation. You need to have 30% plus in any given district if you're going to win. And I think that's going to be the shame of it, is there's going to be some dissident parties and dissident candidates who get votes, but they don't poke through. I don't know. There I am being depressing again. That's our show for today. Until next time. On behalf of all of us here at Rebel World Headquarters to you at home, good night and keep fighting for freedom.